Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Longshot is a production of McClatchy Studios and iHeartRadio. Previously on Return Man. He made some kind of statement about, I just never realized that having so much money would create so many problems. When someone was in like an altered state, anyone who says that they didn't know it, bullshit. Yes, they did. I saw him one day and I attempted to talk to him and he was bad strung Hi, my name is uh, Brett McCormick. I work at a newspaper in South Carolina. Have you got some time to talk? Today, the Lancaster County coroner is Carla Knight Dees. Do you know much about what I'm wanting to talk to you about? I don't. Okay. Yeah, it's been a while. It's okay. It, very yeah, 46 and, years. Yeah. yeah, and we went and did a lot of research. She was elected coroner in 2016. We met at her office in Lancaster. And I'll show you. Okay. Oh, wow. These were our old books. Deese is the person I initially called to find an autopsy report for Jim Duncan to see what a medical professional might have determined about the former Super Bowl hero who died of a gunshot inside the Lancaster police station, back when all sorts of records were kept by hand. This is how records used to be kept. Isn't that crazy? It's funny to watch like our young kids come in and they'll do research projects and they sit in the conference room deer in the headlights because they can't read cursive. I just was about to say that. Surely, I figured... There had to have been an autopsy done. Except that after searching her records, Deese told me she couldn't find anything. Historically, coroners didn't really have offices. Some in the state still don't. And they would keep all their records in their home. And somebody did have a house fire, so I'm going to speculate probably, yeah. unfortunately, the year that you're looking for, along with many other years, is missing. Just okay. totally missing. Okay. There's another place where... A lot of them are archived, um, which is in our basement of the county building records. There's not many boxes there, but we went through all of them. Nothing 
in that year, along with several other in the 70s, were just totally non-existent. So we know nothing about it. It's no secret Jim was in a fragile mental state when he died. The combination of financial and career-induced anxiety, possible drug abuse, even a potential traumatic brain injury, could have explained the 26-year-old taking his own life. But his family and friends still have questions that linger to this day. And the more I researched this story, the less confident I became that law enforcement back in 1972 had even tried to answer them. We try to fill every single gap before we close a case. Right. We have families come in a lot with questions, and we vet those answers out for them right there on spot. That's our job, is to serve these folks. There's a framed sign on Deese's desk intended for visitors, many of whom are seeing her on the worst days of their lives. The sign says, It is my duty to provide you with a fair and accurate investigation. It is my honor to do so with pride, honesty, and integrity. That's my saying right there. I don't care who you are, where you come from, or what your lifestyle has ended up being. Somebody somewhere cares about you, and it is our job to provide those answers to your surviving family and treat you equally and fairly. Coming down in front of the goalpost at the two-yard line to Duncan, up to the 15th. It seemed clear to me that Deese prides herself on Lancaster County offering transparency today. That clearly hadn't happened in Jim's case. That's to the outside. Gets a block. He's at the 30. If authorities had done even basic things, actions taken in almost all police investigations, including many at the time, a suicide verdict might have been accepted in Lancaster. If providing a full account of Jim's death had been a primary goal for law enforcement then, so many questions wouldn't have persisted for nearly 50 years. So how come it wasn't? From the Herald, McClatchy Studios, and iHeartRadio, this is Return Man. I'm Brett McCormick, and this is Part 5, The Police Station. Testing the audio for the library in Lancaster, South Carolina. All right, here it goes. I've spent countless hours in libraries and pouring through university and newspaper archives, trying to better understand what happened in the police station and the events that followed. I'm saying this is a skill that I don't think many millennials possess. <laughs> Being able to use a microphone machine. Accounts are often secondhand, and as you'd expect, sometimes conflict. The few official details come from one source, law enforcement. Do you remember, um, what was your job with the um, department? That cold October morning, the dispatcher behind the counter was a new trainee named George Lloyd. That was you, okay. That was what your job was? Do you remember how the station was laid out? I mean, was there like a front desk? We spoke briefly by phone at his home outside Lancaster. He declined to appear in this podcast, but he repeated to me the official version of the story. Just, um, and just to be clear, so you, you were sitting at the desk and he just walked right by you? According to Lloyd, Lieutenant Henson had just arrived at the police station. He was going through the mail 
and Lloyd told me Henson was leaning on the counter, with his back to the front door. Moments later, Jim entered the station. Okay. And he, he just went right on past you? Lloyd told me, quote, This guy walks in and got about halfway across the floor. I said, can I help you? And that's when he reached and grabbed the lieutenant's gun and stepped back and shot himself. He added, quote, The lieutenant turned and grabbed him to try to stop him, but it was too late. So it was in front of you. Gotcha. Okay. So authorities said Jim entered the police station, crossed the reception area in a few steps, grabbed Henson's revolver out of the lieutenant's holster, and shot himself in the head. All before Red Henson could even comprehend what was happening, much less stop it. What was your reaction to what happened? I mean, that's a pretty crazy thing to have happen when I guess you'd only been there a couple weeks. Lloyd told me, quote, I just ducked behind the desk so he wouldn't shoot me. Soon after the shooting, another police officer went to the liquor store where Ellery worked to tell her Jim was hurt. The former football player's body was taken to nearby Springs Hospital. There he was examined by the city coroner named Richard Chandler. Because he had to go when you don't want somebody to die or something to get killed, he had to be there. Like a car wreck or something, he had to go. This is Billy Ray Crawford. He was also there at the hospital that day. And the only reason I was there, because me and Richard was just like that. See, we run together and stuff. We wanted somebody else to see it, to be a witness since it was black, so... Right. He had me come up there. He called me up from the body shop and come up there. Being Lancaster's coroner wasn't exactly a full-time job, and Richard Chandler spent most of his time running an auto body repair shop in town. Chandler died in 2009. Crawford, who's now in his 80s, was the only black employee at Chandler's repair shop, and he'd even seen Jim a few times in the month since the football player had come back to town. Yeah, I've seen him most every week, every other week. So. What would you guys do? Shoot, I don't know a little bit of everything back there. Yeah? I heard he was good at shooting pool. Did you guys shoot pool a lot? Yeah, yeah. Did a little bit of that. Go to different parties and stuff. Mm-hmm. Everybody know him right here, you know, because it went to school right here and everything. Mm-hmm. We hung out together a lot. Did he seem the same as he had been, or did he seem different in any way? Or No, he seemed the same, same, uh, same person, yeah. Yeah. That's what would make it weird that he yeah. killed himself all of a sudden. Yeah. Right, right. You know he was married, right? I don't think a lot of people even were aware yeah. that he was I married. Know, I didn't know that. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't think you're the only one that doesn't know that. Then I don't problem getting on women. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. That's what I've been told. Because um, he was, you know, kind of a star-like, you know. Right, right. See. Word of Jim's death spread quickly in such a small town. A friend called Elroy in Charlotte to tell him his brother had been shot. Later that day, Ellery called Alice in Greenville. By the time the coroner and Crawford got to the hospital, Jim's body had been laid out on a table. He was still dressed in what Crawford described to me as jogging clothes. So you saw his body after he died? Yeah. 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 He looked like a cell with everybody, but he was just laying there like he was asleep. We'll be back after this. Hey, everybody, welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation... 
I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. (laughs) You couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. She's breathing right now? Yes, she's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Jim's body was prepared for burial at the McMullen Funeral Home in Lancaster. On the east side of Main Street, a few hundred feet down a cracked asphalt road from the St. Paul AME Church. A service for Jim was held at the church three days after his death. So you found out the day that he died, how how quick did you get to Lancaster? You didn't go right away? Jim's funeral was the first day Alice had been back to Lancaster. Yeah, you're so young. I don't know. Alice declined to lend her voice to this podcast, but we spoke for nearly four hours. I think your part of it is, to me, is like the most heartbreaking because not only did you have this crazy event just like explode your life, but then after you got with the family too, and I think that's part of the story. I mean, because if you're thinking about how people have dealt with it, you're not getting answers from anybody. She had spent the past few days thunderstruck by a loss she couldn't understand. Jim's family seemed to blame her for his career tailspin and for Jim being back in Lancaster at all. 
At the same time, Alice's family had been concerned for her safety there. She told me, quote, When I went to get information as to where his personal things were, the police followed me every step of the way, everywhere I went until I left the city. Friends, neighbors, and Jim's old Bar Street teammates paid their final respects to Butch. The overflow crowd spilled onto the sidewalks. Sandy Gilliam, Jim's high school and Maryland State coach, gave a eulogy. And the church choir sang, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. Jim was remembered as, quote, an admired citizen, loved and respected by all, a beautiful person with an open mind and friendliness to charm the world. Following the service, a caravan of cars drove six miles down U.S. 521 to the Salem AME Zion Church Cemetery in nearby Heath Springs. Did you go to his funeral? Yes, I did. Floyd White was one of Jim's coaches at Bar Street High School. Just a solemn funeral, you know. Yeah. I don't think no, nobody came forth and said anything or nothing like that, but it's, it's a solemn funeral. As shock and disbelief wore off, it was replaced by suspicion in the hearts and minds of Jim's family and friends. The official story of Jim's death has been clear for decades. But somehow, there's little official evidence for it. I would read that Ellery didn't see the body until a few days later and that Alice um, didn't see it until a few days later. Would that have been normal for the way that he died? Well, not really. No? No. Glenn Crawford was one of the friends who'd played Sandlot Ball with Jim as a child. And he worked at the funeral home where Jim's body was prepared. I'm trying to think now. I don't even know whether they did an autopsy. I can't really think. What would be the order of operations? Like, would it have gone to, like, an autopsy medical examiner and then to you guys? Yeah. Okay. We would be the last one. You would, yeah, yeah. Did you see his body? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you remember about that? I, I can't discuss that. Is it, is Apex. it, yeah, okay, I was going to say, is it it's like a funeral yeah. director's yeah. code? Yeah, gotcha. Okay. You didn't work on it, though, did you? Uh, I won't say. Okay. We say it was done here, but it wasn't done with us. We still ask questions about yeah. how, 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 when, when, when. And in no time at all, Floyd White told me, the swirling questions about what exactly happened in that police station consumed Lancaster. They say... He came in, and the officer, Red Henson, I believe that was his name. Yeah. He attempted to uh, get his revolver or something, and he went and shot himself. But there was some talk that Butch had. Right. They say he committed suicide, but they say. After the funeral, Alice spoke with Lancaster police about the incident in the very building where Jim died. Alice was told by police that as unbelievable as it might have seemed, Jim grabbed Lieutenant Henson's revolver with his right hand, raised the gun to his head, and shot himself behind his right ear. Yet Alice insisted to me that in a different conversation she had at the time with Jim's mortician, the mortician told her Jim had been shot behind his left ear. She said to me, quote, How can you shoot yourself on your left side when you're right-handed? Wow. Because a lot of the stories say that he shot himself on the right ear. So, why would you pull with... Yeah. 
We're just about ready to get the second half underway. Deep for the Colts, Jim Duncan. In the days following Jim's death, anger grew in Lancaster and the NFL community beyond. Well, knowing Speedy about as well as anyone outside of his family knew him, I'll never believe that. Bob Grant was Jim's best friend on the Baltimore Colts. The story, he grabbed one of the policeman's guns and shot himself. I'll never believe that he did that. Never. It is coming to Duncan, a real threat. Eddie Hinton was the Colts receiver who faced Jim every day in practice. Back in Lancaster, Police Chief Larry Lauer apparently kept control over the investigation. He told reporters he was taking it upon himself to handle the investigation into Jim's death personally. That was unusual. Hypothetically, if that happens this day in time, the agency, let's just say if it did happen at a police station, that agency backs out immediately. Sure. Lancaster's current coroner, Carla Deese. They're not involved in their own investigation. Normally, another agency will come in. When we have something that's that questionable, I actually have a forensic criminologist who I retain. I would call her in at the beginning before we ever remove the body. When you have something like that, if you're not an expert in the area, you need to seek out experts. Following Jim's death, Lancaster police requested some help from SLED, the South Carolina State Law Enforcement Division. Bear with me for a minute. Okay, I've got the file pulled up. Tom Barry was the Freedom of Information Act coordinator at SLED when I began researching this story. He has since retired. We did not do an investigation. We did lab work for the investigating agency. So we did not independently investigate. Okay. There would have been some kind of paperwork. When your request came in, we literally went back to the card catalog for those old cases going back that far. And we could not find anything under the name James Duncan, Jim Duncan, Jimmy Duncan. We didn't find anything related to those names in any of the investigative files. Following Jim's death, Lancaster police discovered a water pipe in his car, which was parked a few blocks away. The pipe was one of the things Lancaster police sent to SLED's Columbia Crime Lab for analysis. There, SLED performed three separate tests, and the results were written in sloping cursive. Yeah, it looks like firearms, blood alcohol, and drug analysis. That much we're certain of, because Barry sent me the grainy, photocopied scans of those results in response to my FOIA request. For that firearm test, SLED analyzed Lieutenant Russell Henson's gun and the plain lead bullet recovered from the floor near Jim's body. The man who performed that test at SLED was senior agent F. Dan DeFries. Hi, my name is Brett. I work at the newspaper in Rock Hill. And uh, I'm actually looking at a SLED lab report from 1972 that signed DeFreeze. And I'm thinking that maybe uh, you were the person that did the test. Well, it could be. 
I reached DeFreeze at his home outside Columbia, and we spoke in broad terms. After performing thousands of these tests in his career, the routine analysis Lancaster police requested didn't stand out. You're referring to a compatibility test to determine, if possible, whether a particular bullet was fired by a particular gun barrel. And that is possible to do, and we did an awful lot of it. Okay. You know, I, I don't remember this case at all. Have you know? Don't know anything about this case. You know, just just other than what you told me. But uh, you know, in such cases, it would be very common for us to confirm that the bullet was fired by the gun. According to Sled's documentation, DeFreeze found that yes, the bullet that killed Jim was fired by Lieutenant Henson's Smith and Wesson. In the second test. Lancaster police wanted to know Jim's BA, or blood alcohol level, at the time of his death. That's to determine whether or not he was drunk when he entered the police station. And according to Sled's analysis, the answer was no. It appears Lancaster police also wanted Jim's blood checked for hard drugs because, quote, plus heroin was written on that same request form. Speedy developed a problem addiction to heroin. No, I never actually saw him do it, but I had heard from our old teammate Speedy has this problem. But Sled couldn't test Jim's blood for drugs. At the bottom of the report, a phrase was scribbled, sample QNS for further analysis. QNS means quantity not sufficient. Carla Dietz told me a QNS is not unusual and that Jim's blood on the police station floor or on his body was contaminated and not suitable for testing. The final test was conducted on a water pipe police found in Jim's car, which still had liquid in it. The pipe tested positive for marijuana. One more question. Would, um, would SLED have had fingerprint capabilities in 1972? Probably of some type, yes. Okay. Tom Barry was the Freedom of Information Act coordinator when I began researching this story. It sounds like SLED tested things that the Lancaster PD asked them to test. It appears that fingerprints were not among those things they wanted tested, so... Uh, Yeah, that was pretty much... That was what was requested, and that's what we did. So Lancaster police requested three tests, which confirmed the pipe in Jim's car had once contained pot, that he wasn't drunk when he entered the police station, and that Lieutenant Henson's gun was the firearm that killed him. But none of those tests clarified who fired Henson's gun or why. In the aftermath of Jim's death, those were the questions threatening to shatter the peace in Lancaster. Everybody got a little more cautious about a lot of things. That's the way I see it. Glenn Crawford grew up down the street from Jim. They played Sandlot football together, along with Thomas Howes. What things did you guys get more cautious about? White police officers. You stopped. Yeah. At that particular time, you know, if you got stuck, you made sure you let them know that you either had your hands on the glove or either when you got up downtown that somebody knew where you were because if they didn't, you know, you never know. Yes. You was looking at these things on TV every day, you know, like down in Selma, Alabama, people get dogs sick. Them. Yeah. That never happened to you. Right. We've yeah. lived through this. We've had to deal yeah. with this all our lives. Yeah. And still deal with it today. We'll be back in a moment. We started talking about this incident. 
drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, the story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation. I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. These are cool. They put um, people's occupations in the phone book. So this would be 69. Right there. I love this. James E. Duncan, pro ball player, Baltimore Colts. And like there's Charlie Dukes. He's the 12th person to walk on the moon. It's funny they're on like the same page. Lancaster Police Chief Lauer seems to have rejected oversight by SLED in favor of keeping the investigation of Jim's death in-house. So it's obviously important to understand how his department approached that investigation. I'd hope to ask Chief Lauer that myself. 
Uh, it was about the NFL player that committed suicide in Lancaster. But he practically hung up on me when I called. Even if he didn't want to talk now, I figured that Lauer's report from the time could speak for itself. Unfortunately, there isn't one. I reached out to Lancaster's current police chief, Scott Grant. He arrived in Lancaster in the late 90s and didn't know anything about Jim Duncan when I contacted him. Chief Grant told me he asked a few employees to check multiple record storage facilities, but they found nothing related to Jim Duncan. No records of any kind. One news report from 1972 said Chief Lauer's team had taken photographs of Jim's body. So some sort of documentation might have existed at some point. But the current police chief told me the Lancaster PD moved in 1990 to a new building, and the old one, where Jim died, had been demolished. So Grant said it's possible those historic records didn't survive the move. But that also means it's impossible to verify what sort of investigation Chief Lauer really did after Jim's death. Well, let's be a little bit cautious. Seth Stoughton is a professor at the University of South Carolina Law School. Investigations into police shootings in the 60s do not look like what should be investigations of police shootings today. Unfortunately, there are at least some investigations of police shootings even today that would have looked pretty normal back in the 60s. That's not because the investigations in the 60s were so good. That's because even today we still have some pretty shitty investigations into officer-involved shootings. Stoughton said that in a case like this, it can be easy to judge a small-town police department by today's big city standards. There were no video cameras in the lobby of the Lancaster police station in 1972, much less cameras on the bodies of the officers. Unlike today, they might not have been able to perform gunpowder residue tests on people's hands. Or analyze stippling, which is the way gunpowder tattoos the area around a close contact gunshot wound. Or done a burn pattern analysis on Jim's body and clothes to know how close the gun was to him when the bullet exploded from the barrel. Also, the position and angle of the wound. And this is something that I would have expected them to have been able to identify. Uh, It's not always possible to line up with perfect accuracy the penetration pattern of a bullet and thus to backtrack that and say, okay, well, if the bullet penetrated here, then it clearly came off at this angle. But we can rule out certain things, right? We can say, okay, well, it definitely came from somewhere over here as opposed to somewhere over here. Stoughton was a police officer himself before he became a lawyer. If they're examining this gunshot wound and the person is right-handed, but it's from over here, then we have some questions. It's not impossible, but it becomes a little bit more improbable. When you start to put together things like distance and angle, then you can maybe, and I'm emphasizing maybe, start to say this looks consistent with, or this does not look consistent with a self-inflicted gunshot wound. But even being cognizant of standards in the early 70s, it still seems like there are some basic investigative steps that just weren't taken in Jim's case. And that's coming from Chief Lauer himself. Back in 1972, a reporter asked him if the Lancaster PD had even checked Lieutenant Henson's gun for fingerprints. Lauer wasn't exactly clear. He said, quote, I think that this would involve a criminal matter, if that's what it's going to be at a later date. And I don't see where we should divulge any information of that sort. 
pressed by the reporter as to whether or not there would be a criminal investigation at a later date, Lauer replied, quote, Nope. Back in the day, at a smaller agency, at a more rural agency, at an agency that may not have been leading the charge of police reform and professionalization, uh, a lot of shit happened that never got reported. Stoughton's hypothetical here presumes for the moment the official account of Jim's death is entirely accurate. In a case like this, if you had anything, you might have a one line or one paragraph write up in the watch log at 8.03 p.m., one man later identified as Jim Duncan entered, attempted to take an officer's firearm and shot himself, period, done. If you had that, nobody's going to jail. The officers are never going to have to testify against anyone because the only bad actor here, so to speak, is the decedent. Why bother? No autopsy was ever performed on Jim's body or even requested by Chief Lauer or the county coroner at the time, Richard Chandler. At the time, Chandler told a reporter, quote, I could see no value in having an autopsy because there was no question as to the cause of death. So we don't even have independent confirmation that Duncan actually died from a single gunshot below and behind his right ear. That's one thing that I preached to our folks. And I said, what you don't understand is we're the history keepers. Carla Deese is Lancaster County's coroner now. And 40, 50 years from now, somebody needs to be able to pull our stuff and, and it be, for the most part, seamless. She stressed to me that over the past 50 years, increased education, certification requirements, and record-keeping procedures have all raised the level of professionalism in her department. You know, historically, I just, I don't know how people thought or what they did. I can just tell you how it's transitioned and how we think and what our policy is now. We have a standing policy around here that if it is not a natural death, that's an automatic autopsy. Mm-hmm. Every vehicle accident, every gunshot, yeah. every suicide. Sure, you may have a vehicle accident where the person has multiple blunt force injury. Sometimes we find out that somebody had a heart attack going down the road. Sure. So that changes the course because they actually died a natural death from a heart attack, not from a wreck. You know, those are things we need to figure out. There may be some answers in there for the family. There may not, but I'm going to try to provide that. Those are exactly the things so many people wanted to know about Jim's death in 1972. And still do, to this day. There are some predictable possibilities to explain what happened. It happened the way that the police later said it did. And they acted appropriately in the aftermath. It happened the way the police said it did, and they botched the aftermath. It did not happen the way that the officers said it did. And there is some ineptitude at best or active cover-up at worst. We don't know. As I looked into this case, I found myself more and more confused by Lancaster police at the time. If Jim had died exactly the way authorities said he did, why did so many of their actions after the fact make it seem like they could have been hiding something. Even putting aside the humanity of providing closure for Jim's family and friends, if all Lancaster police had to do to settle any speculation about their involvement in Jim's death was simply document what happened, why wouldn't they have done it? 
at the time, officers didn't feel the need to present an authoritative narrative because their verbal explanations would be enough. At least it would be enough for everyone who they cared about. Suddenly, the relative tranquility of that old mill town blew apart at the seams. And on part six of Return Man, Bush was our hero. They want to say he grabbed a police gun and shot himself, but I don't believe that shit. There are conspiracies in the world, and growing up in the Jim Crow South, you're viewing the world in the way in which the world is treating you. It was courtroom capacity at that particular time, whatever that capacity was, and we had people on the outside. It involves race, the mental state of the person, and a town that was scared to death to say anything. I'm Brett McCormick. Return Man is a production of The Herald, McClatchy Studios, and iHeartRadio. It's produced by Matt Walsh, Kara Tabor, Kata Stevens, Rachel Wise, and Davin Coburn. The executive producer for iHeartRadio is Sean Titone. For lots more on this story, go to heraldonline.com slash returnman. If you have any additional information about Jim Duncan's life or death, email us at returnman at heraldonline.com. To continue supporting this kind of work, visit heraldonline.com slash podcasts and consider a digital subscription. And for more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleha Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there.